Let's now read Psalm 145 together. We read this psalm in connection with the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's consider the teaching of the Catechism one more time in this time through the Catechism. Lord's Day 52, we consider the last two questions. How dost thou conclude thy prayer? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all these we ask of thee because thou, being our King and Almighty, art willing and able to give us all good. And all this we pray for, that thereby not we, but thy holy name may be glorified forever. What doth the word Amen signify? Amen signifies, it shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of him.
Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we conclude our series of sermons on the model prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ by looking at the conclusion of that prayer. Our Lord teaches us this conclusion of prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In this series of sermons, through the Lord's Prayer, we have learned from our Lord Jesus himself. He has taught us how to pray. He has taught us why we ought to pray. Because prayer is the chief part of that thankfulness that we owe to God for all that he has done for us. And secondly, because prayer is the God-ordained way in which he will give us all things necessary for the body and soul. He wants us to ask him And he says, ask and you shall receive. We have also learned in this series what we are to pray for. We know not what we ought to pray for as we ought. Without good instruction from the scriptures and from the model prayer, we would pray for all kinds of things that we ought not to pray for. But our Lord has taught us what we should pray for in the six petitions of our Lord's Prayer. We ought to pray for the hallowing, the glorification of the name of our God. We ought to pray for the realization and the performance of God's will on earth as it is in heaven. We ought to pray for the full coming of his kingdom in our lives and in all of the world. We ought to pray that he will give us our daily bread, nothing more, nothing less. We ought to pray that God will forgive our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us. We ought to pray that God will not lead us into temptation, that we must learn the hard way by being burned with the fire of sin, but rather that he would deliver us from evil and from the tempter, that we might walk in a godly life. Those are the things we ought to pray for. This morning... The Lord teaches us one more lesson about prayer in the conclusion of his model prayer. He teaches us the reason we ought to pray to God and the motive that ought to characterize our prayers. Why do you pray? And why do we pray to God? The answer is in the conclusion. The conclusion expresses the reason. We pray all of these things because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's why. That's why we pray to God and that's why we pray for these things. So this morning, I call your attention to the gospel that the kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to God. That's the gospel that we're going to hear this morning. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to God, and to God alone, and to God forever. And that gospel is what strengthens our faith so that we come to God and we pray to God in confidence that he will hear us and grant our prayers. And furthermore, that gospel deepens our gratitude to God for all that he has done for us so that we do pray for the glory of his name. We take as our theme, concluding our prayers with confidence in God. Notice, first of all, 
his everlasting kingdom, then his everlasting power, and finally his everlasting glory. Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to pray all of these things, first of all, because the kingdom belongs to God our Father forever and ever. The kingdom belongs to God. The kingdom of the whole universe. The kingdom of the heavens above and the earth beneath. The kingdom that includes and embraces absolutely all things in the creation belongs to God. The psalmist praises God for that in the psalm that we read. Beginning in verse 10, we read, All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Indeed, the psalmist begins, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. The kingdom belongs to God forever and ever. It has always belonged to him, and it always will. The cosmos in which we live is not a purely material expanse of galaxies and stars and planets and star clouds and star dust that simply came into existence on its own and governs itself and evolves by chance and random mutation so that over billions and billions of years The world came into existence as we see it and know it today. That's a lie. The truth is that the cosmos in which we live, this vast, glorious, beautiful, wonderful world, so vast, so marvelous, is the creation of our God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the truth. And the whole of the cosmos belongs to God. It is his kingdom. He is the king. He reigns over the whole of the creation, over the physical world that we can see, over the spiritual world that we cannot see. All things visible and invisible, things present and future, things near and things far away. He rules, he reigns as king. He sits upon the throne of heaven and rests his feet upon the earth as his footstool and sways the scepter of his sovereign power and dominion over all of the creation, ruling every place, every creature, every event by his secret providence according to his perfect and eternal plan so that all things are under his sovereign control and kingship. And nothing happens by chance. The kingdom is God's forever and ever. And God sent his only begotten son into the world. That through the suffering of death, through humbling himself to the curse of the death of the cross, by descending into the depths of the hellish agonies of the darkness of the everlasting chains, he would be highly exalted and given a name above every name, 
As we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, He became a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, but He was crowned with glory and honor. He was raised up, Jesus was, and He was given a name, and He was given power and authority and dominion over all creatures, so that the kingdom belongs to God in Christ. Christ, who sits at God's right hand, is the one through whom God reigns over all the universe. Christ is in control of all things. And Christ teaches us we are to pray to God, the King, in the name of Christ, because the kingdom belongs to him. The kingdom doesn't belong to anyone else. The kingdom doesn't belong to Satan. Not even one square inch of the kingdom belongs to Satan. The kingdom doesn't belong to any other gods. There are no other gods. The kingdom does not belong to man. This is not man's world. This is not man's universe. Man does not sway the scepter of his sovereign power over the world. The kingdom belongs to God. That's why we ought to pray to God. God is the king. He sits on the throne. To whom do you bring your petitions? You bring your petitions to the king. You bring your petitions to the one who has the sovereign authority to grant those petitions. You don't bring your petitions to the Virgin Mary. You don't bring your petitions to the angels. You don't bring your petitions to the demons. You don't bring your petitions to mankind. You bring your petitions to the king. And to him alone. What a comfort that is. That the kingdom of the whole universe belongs to God. In a world so full of trouble and calamities that are increasing all around us as wars break forth, as volcanoes erupt and earthquakes shake the ground and hurricanes rage the sea and bring tsunamis and floods upon the earth as pandemics sweep through humankind as wickedness increases and darkness spreads and the whole world seems to go mad after wickedness and evil to know the kingdom belongs to God. Pray to him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that truth? That the kingdom belongs to God and to God alone? And do you believe that with all your heart? Do you believe that in the depths of your soul? Do you lay hold upon that as a truth, as a reality? Because if you do, then that fills you with confidence when you come to God in prayer, doesn't it? that fills you with the confidence of faith, the confidence of hope, the confidence of joy, that when I come to the King, He's there, He's real, He reigns over all of creation, and He will hear me, and He has the authority to answer me and to grant my petitions. But there's more. When our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to bring our petitions to God, on the ground that the kingdom belongs to him forever. He means particularly that God has established 
a very special kingdom with us. In the opening verse of the psalm that we read, the psalmist, an Israelite believer of the Old Testament, directs his psalm to the Lord and says, I will extol thee, my God, O King. My God, O King. God was not the God of the heathen nations around them, but he was the God of Israel. He was the God of the psalmist. And he is your God and my God. We come to God with our prayers because we believe that God, the God of all creation, is our King. And therefore, he not only has the authority to grant our petitions, but he is willing to grant our petitions because he loves us. He is our King, and he is our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, Grant us all these things, for thine is the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to God, our Father. The King is our Father. That's an amazing truth. Our Lord Jesus is teaching us that God, the King of all the universe, is establishing a kingdom of light in the midst of this present darkness. He is establishing a kingdom of heaven in the midst of a world that is plunging toward hell. He is establishing a kingdom of righteousness in the midst of a world of wickedness. He is establishing a kingdom that manifests itself in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this world. Because unto the church are given the keys of this kingdom to open and to shut, to bind and to loose. God is establishing in this world a kingdom that is destined to continue for all eternity. An everlasting kingdom that will have no end. A kingdom that when this whole world is burned with fire, when the stars fall from heaven, and when the ground shakes beneath the earth, and the waves crash against the shore, and all things dissolve and are destroyed in that great day of the Lord, This kingdom will continue. When the world is destroyed, the kingdom will not be destroyed. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, grant us these things that we need for body and soul. For thine is the kingdom, Father. Thine is the kingdom. God sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer that accursed death on the cross in order that we might be members and citizens of this everlasting kingdom. In order that we might be numbered among that great multitude which no one can count from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue throughout all the ages of history, as many as the Lord has predestinated to eternal life and as many as he calls out of the nations. Christ has shed his blood on the cross so that we might be gathered out of the darkness into the church to be living members for all eternity. He rose from the dead and now he builds this kingdom in the midst of the world, sending forth his word and spirit 
sending forth his gospel through missionaries and preachers to stand on the mountaintops and on the roofs of the houses and in the pulpits of the churches throughout the world to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And through that gospel and through that spirit, he regenerates his elect and he translates them out of the darkness into the light, out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God, into the church. And through adoption, he gives us the experience that we are sons and daughters of God. We are sons and daughters of the king. Our king, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is our father. If the king is God and if the king is our father, then our Lord is teaching us to pray to him because he is willing, he's ready, He is eager. This king is our father. This king is not a tyrant. This king is not a dictator. This king is not one who is just waiting to pounce and destroy us and cast us into prison. This king is our father. Whose is the kingdom? This is our Father's kingdom. Pray to him. He will answer your prayers. He will grant your requests. This past Tuesday, we had a special prayer service. We gathered together here in the church of past and recent cases of abuse that have come to light in our churches that have caused terrible pain to many victims, individuals, their families, their churches, and the pressure of which has been felt throughout the denomination. We gather together here for a prayer service. The whole purpose of our gathering was to pray. We did that. We prayed. We prayed to our God, who is our King, who is our Father. Do you think he heard those prayers? Do you think he was listening to us? Do you think he will grant those prayers? Do you think he will grant our prayer when we prayed for the repentance of abusers? when we prayed for the healing of victims, when we prayed for our own repentance and humbling, when we prayed for resolution and peace in the churches, when we prayed for a safe environment for the little lambs of the church, when we prayed for all those things, do you think he heard us Do you think he cares about those prayers and do you think he will grant them? Do you believe that? If we pray in unbelief, those prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back down to the ground. But the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man, the prayer of faith, availeth much. When we pray in faith, in true faith, He hears those prayers. 
When we pray to God, our King, but we don't really believe, we don't really believe He's there. We don't really believe He's hearing us. We don't really believe He will grant us those prayers or that He's willing to grant those prayers for some reason or other. He's not pleased with those prayers. Just like we fathers would not be pleased if our children would come to us asking something, but they don't really believe we will grant it to them. We might grant it to them anyway, but we want our children to be confident. I'm your father. I love you. I want to grant you your prayers for all things necessary for body and soul. So our Lord teaches us to pray, our Father, grant us these things, for thine is the kingdom. In the second place, our Lord teaches us that the power belongs to God. The power. That follows very closely after the first point. Do you believe that God has the power to grant any prayer that you lift up to him or things that you need. The psalmist speaks of the glorious power of God in this psalm. He says in verse 4, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. In verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom, and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Jesus teaches us to pray to God because all the power belongs to him. All the power. He doesn't just possess a portion, a fraction of the power, as if the devil possesses a fraction and God possesses a fraction so that they share the sum of all the power that exists. All the power belongs to God. Do you believe that? It's not just that he has all of the power once in a while or at certain points so that there are points when he waxes strong in power and might and then he's able to do great things but then he waxes weaker and loses some of that power so that at other times he's not able to grant those things. The power belongs to God forever. The power has always belonged to God, and the power will always belong to God. All the power. He is almighty. He is omnipotent. That means that God has the ability to do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases, however he pleases. And he is pleased to grant our petitions as his children. God has revealed to us his great power through the scriptures, through the record of the mighty acts that he has done, 
throughout history. God wants us to know how great his power is. That's why he inspired Moses to write the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because the power is his power. He has all the power. None of us could have created this universe. This universe couldn't create itself. God created it. God has the power. He created everything out of nothing. He brought it all into existence that he had determined to create in his eternal plan. And the Bible teaches us that God preserves and upholds and governs the universe that he made from moment to moment because his is the power. Who has power to uphold the whole of the universe in his hands? To hold it up? To preserve it? To direct it? Govern it? God has the power. The scriptures speak of the mighty works of God opening the windows of heaven and breaking up the fountains of the deep and causing a deluge of water to cover the whole of the earth because his is the power. And his power is such a power that it's not just brute and uncontrolled force, but also it's the power to hold the ark of Noah in his hand, preserving it very gently in the midst of the storm of waters. His was the power to divide the waters of the Red Sea and create dry ground so that his people could march through the midst to the other side and at that precise moment when they had all crossed over to bring the mighty waters crashing down again upon Pharaoh and his hosts. The power belongs to God. The power was his when Joshua invaded Canaan And all he did was marched around the walls of Jericho seven days in a row and shouted and blew a trumpet and the walls came crashing down. The power was revealed when God made the sun to stand still in the sky so that Joshua might defeat his enemies in that day. The power was God's to reveal when The mighty Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem and all hope was lost. But in the middle of the night, through the angel of the Lord, all of them dropped dead in one instant. God revealed his power when he came down into this world and united himself to our human nature through the miracle of the Incarnation when through the power and operation of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God united himself in the womb of the Virgin Mary to human nature and was born. And when the Son of God in human flesh took upon his shoulders the burden of all of the sins of all of God's elect people and bore that heavy, heavy weight on the cross of Calvary and through the infinite power of his divine majesty carried that weight through the portals of hell until at last he had exhausted all of the vials of God's wrath and won the victory and accomplished salvation. Thine is the power. Thine is the power. He raised up Jesus from the dead. He raised him from the dead. Clothed him with immortality. Gave him a glorious body. Carried him up on the clouds into glory. 
Thine is the power. He sends forth that same mighty spirit into our hearts and does a wonder that the Canons of Dort says is just as great and glorious as the creation of the world and the resurrection of the dead when he regenerated your dead soul. My dead soul. When he performed the miracle of regeneration, bringing forth the life of Christ in our hearts out of death. When he softened our stubborn and hard hearts, so rebellious and obstinate against him, and made us willing so that we believed in the gospel. Thine is the power, preserving our faith, sanctifying our souls so that we never go lost, we never fall away. Despite all of the temptations and assaults of the devil, which are relentless and ceaseless, thine is the power. Do you believe that? Do you believe all of that? Do you believe God has all that power? When you lay hold upon that in your heart, truly lay hold on it, God has that power. All the power. And you pray to him in that confidence. Then you pray as you ought. You pray in complete trust and dependence upon the almighty God, believing he can do what you ask. He can. He is able to give us all that we need for the body, food for today, shelter from the storm, a job so we can work, recovery when we are sick, healing for victims of abuse, repentance to an abuser. He's able to do that. He has the power. He has the power to change your life to break you free from all of your sins, to give you the sense and the taste of freedom already in this life, to break you free from the sin that so easily besets you, into which you fall again and again. Do you believe he has the power to do that? He has the power to overcome our threefold enemy in this spiritual warfare, Jesus is teaching us to pray to our Father, our God, our King. Because the power is his power. The Apostle Paul beautifully speaks of that in Ephesians 3. When he says, I bow my head to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he says in that same passage, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask and all that we think and all that we could imagine. He's able to do that according to the power that worketh in us. Finally, our Lord Jesus teaches us to pray 
because the glory belongs to God. The glory. The psalmist teaches us that too. I will extol thee, my God, O King. What motivated the psalmist to sit down and write that psalm? What was it that filled his heart? To sit down, to take the time, to pick up the pen and roll out his papyrus on his table before him and write those words. Was not the motivation thankfulness, gratitude, and love for the God who had done such great things for him so that he desired to give him the glory? That's the motive of prayer. It's the chief part of thankfulness. If anyone ever thinks, I have no reason to pray, prayer is not needed. That person is lacking gratitude. That person doesn't know in a living way what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for him and the greatness of that salvation. Jesus teaches us to pray to God For thine is the glory. Because I want to give all the glory to thee and to thee alone. Not some of the glory. Not some of the glory for myself and some of the glory for God. Not some of the glory for men and some of the glory for God. Then we pray to men. Then we pray to ourselves. Then we go to others and seek others to help us, to provide for us, to protect us. And we take delight in others. We idolize others. We glorify others. No, Jesus says, we pray to our Father which art in heaven, for thine is the glory. Thine alone. Belongs to no one else. Belongs to God. God has created this world for his glory. God will get the glory for himself, as he has always gotten the glory for himself. When God sent that flood of waters and destroyed the ungodly world, he was glorified in the destruction of the impenitent and ungodly world, and he was glorified in the salvation of Noah and his family when after the flood he erected that altar and sacrificed offerings to God on that altar, sacrifices of thankfulness. He gave the glory to God for that salvation. Noah was saying, let this altar fire burn, O God. Let this sacrifice rise up as a sweet-smelling savor unto thee. To thee be the glory. To thee be the glory. And when God divided the waters of the Red Sea by his great power and led his people through on dry ground to create a kingdom for himself, Moses sang a song, giving glory to God 
Thine is the glory. To thee be the glory for this great salvation. When our Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again, and the gospel goes forth into the world and finds a place in the hearts of the elect, truly finds a place in our hearts so that we believe the gospel. We believe Christ came to save me. Then our hearts well up with joy and gratitude and desiring to give glory to God. To thee be the glory. Does that ring in your hearts, beloved? Does that desire ring in your hearts? Does that warm your heart to hear? To thee be the glory. Isn't that your prayer? Isn't that your desire? Isn't that your lifelong goal? Don't you devote yourself in life and in death to the glory of God? Father in heaven, grant us all these things that we so desperately need. For thine is the glory. All the glory belongs to thee. And then we conclude our prayer with that last word. When we conclude our prayer and we say that last word, it's not just a marker of the end. We say it so frequently that for all intents and purposes, sometimes it becomes to us nothing more than a marker of the end. It's a way of saying we're finished. We can open our eyes. We can begin eating, we can begin talking, or we can go to sleep. But that word at the end of our prayers is not just a marker of the end. The Catechism teaches us the meaning of that word. It signifies that it shall truly and certainly be. It shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my own heart that I desire these things. That's what we express by that word. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, All the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God. What does he mean by that? He means to say that all of the promises of God are absolutely sure. They are unwaveringly sure. They cannot fail. They will all come to pass. In Christ. In Christ. All the promises of God are sure. And that's the word that our Lord teaches us to use when we end our prayer. You'll find that word at the end of each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What a beautiful testimony. After we read the 
glorious accounts of the life and ministry, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, to find that word at the end which expresses to us, everybody who reads this, be it known unto you, these things are true. These things truly happened. And these things will truly come to pass. And so we conclude our prayers with that word. Because of the weakness of our faith, we do not always keep in mind when we speak that word what we mean. But we ought to. Words are not idle and meaningless. Words carry deep and rich meaning. And that last word is an expression of faith. It's an expression that we believe. Lord, Father, I believe. It will truly and certainly be. Because thou knowest what things I have need of even more than I do. And thou dost desire to grant them to me even more than I desire them. I'm sure thou wilt grant my prayer. So speak the word, having that understanding. And the word is, Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we give thanks to thee for the gift of prayer. And we give thanks to thee that our Lord has taught us how to pray. A glorious prayer is the Lord's Prayer. And as we have now once again heard instruction concerning that prayer, we once again stand in awe. We could never come up with a prayer so wonderful and so glorious, a prayer so perfect that gives all glory and honor unto thee and that expresses requests only for those things most needful. And so we pray, Father, that thou will take this prayer as we have heard it explained to us, apply it to our hearts, and may it be useful in our lives to guide us in the prayers that we make, in the privacy of our own bedrooms, in the privacy of our own hearts, and also publicly in the church and in the family. Teach us to pray, O Lord, and grant that we might pray without ceasing. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.